All right, go ahead and have a seat. And we're going to dive into a new book. What book are we beginning the study on today? What's that? Come on. Ephesians. That's right. Let me get this thing going here. And so, yeah. Did anybody get a chance to watch the email video thing? Couple people. All right. Well, that's usually, those are pretty helpful uh, summaries. And what we're going to do today is, uh, let me get this up and running here. What we're going to do today is we're going to, I'm not a good multitasker, so bear with me. So we're going to do just a little bit of uh, what I would call kind of like schoolwork type teaching on the beginning for uh, a few minutes at the beginning, and then we're going to cover the first two verses. So we're going to look at the purpose and the structure of the letter to the Ephesians. So as you know, the book, most of you know, the book of Ephesians, we call it a book, but it really was originally a letter that Paul had written to a church or some churches in this uh, area in the city or town of Ephesus. Um, we, we'll talk a little bit more about him establishing the church and that type of thing later. And then we're going to look at verses one and two, specifically looking at a little bit about Paul um, and then Ephesus, the place of Ephesus and the saints there, what that really meant and looked like at uh, the time. And then the words grace and peace are in the verses we're going to look at. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We're going to start with our picture. So I kind of picture this. If you're going to go to like a camping spot or camping area or a campground, you know, when you go to the campground, they hand you that if you pay for a regular type campground where you pay spots and they usually give you a map when you check in, right? They'll even do that at a hotel. So that's kind of what we're doing right now is I'm handing you guys a map so that as we go through this book for the next few months, that you can kind of go like, oh yeah, I remember we're here. We came from here. Or that's going to be over there. We're getting ready to cover this, or this is referring to that. It's kind of like what we're doing right now is going to set up a little map. And I want to do this at the beginning and we'll review it because in two years, five years, we walk away from this. My hope is that you have kind of a framework or a skeleton. You're probably not going to remember every detail of every message, but you could at least walk away and go like, Oh, yeah, I still have that map in my mind. I got a map of the book of Ephesians. Um, it's a powerful, it's, it's so rich and so thick. It's probably three pages in your Bible. If you have just regular paper Bible, it's probably like three pages, maybe four. And I have commentaries like this thick on, on the, and multiple commentaries, literally like that thick on this book. And it's just so rich and so deep. So we're obviously not going to be able to get that in depth, but I want to give you kind of the lay of the land, so to speak. So Paul's writing, just kind of bottom lining, this kind of real surface level. Paul's writing to these saints or these believers in Ephesus, and he's telling them, hey, here's who God made you, and now here's how you're supposed to live because of that. He even says in, in chapter 4, verse 1 is a hinge point, which I'll explain in a minute. He says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, which, by the way, Paul was under arrest. It was towards uh, the end of his ministry after his third missionary uh, journey. He was under arrest. He had also ministered to this church for like two years. So he personally was involved with this church. Um, we'll read a little bit more about when he visited uh, one of the first times. And then uh, he's telling them, 
I beseech or I'm pleading with you to walk worthy, check that out, to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. And so if you kind of think about it, um, these are, let's just call this a set of the justice scales. Have you ever seen those kind of, wow, that's bad. The justice scales. And kind of I gave even an example of this last week when I talked about uh, whatever the silver price is today, 23, 22, whatever dollars. And I had a one ounce coin here and I had 23 or 22, whatever the silver price is. Those are equal, right? They're worth the same. That's where the whole idea of worthy comes from. It's they're equal in value. They're the same. They're on their uh, in line with each other, congruent with each other. And so that's the idea here. And so if I, let's say I had 10 pounds of feathers here, 10 pounds of feathers to get this thing equal. How many pounds of rocks would I need on this side? 10 pounds. And then they would be equal in weight, right? And so the idea of worthy is that they're equal. And so when he says, I want you to walk worthy of the calling with which you're called, he's saying, those should be very lined up. You were called for this, and I want you to walk like this. There's a parallel. It's not like I called you to this, but your walk is way out of whack with that. It's that they're lined up. That's the idea in the book. And so even more specifically, and we'll talk about this, uh, the book of Ephesians tells us who God has made us so that we can live together in love, walk in holiness, and stand firm against the power of darkness. And we'll see that that kind of almost is an outline. But for right now, I would say just focus on this one. And over the weeks, we'll kind of move through this. But right now, to just see that it's telling us who God has made us. If you want to break the book down, into the chapters, you can kind of look at it. It's the first three chapters and the last three chapters um, are kind of have the same message. The first three has the same message and the last three have a, a, a different, but the same. So if you want to look at it, chapters one through three, talk about the roots of the gospel. Any idea what the last four? The fruits of the gospel. So the first three are talking about the roots of the gospel. The last three chapters, what that looks like, bored out. The first three, you might say, it talks about us in Christ. And then the last three would be talking about what it looks like through Christ. All those things lived out, uh, us coming through us in Christ. Maybe a little more simple way was that the first three is what we are to believe. And the last three, how we are to behave. Okay, so does that kind of give you an idea? Like you kind of can see like, okay, there's this hinge point. This book is about working, walking worthy. And so in the front end, he's going to tell us who God made me. And the last three, so what does that look like lived out in everyday life? That's kind of the idea of the book. We're going to get needed to get through that school uh, the school stuff. I'm going to give you one more. If you had to say the book of Ephesians in three words, the first three chapters, let's just do this blue, sit. 
sit in, rest in, relax in the truth of who Jesus has made you. The next big chunk, most of the book is walk. And then the last three would be stand. Some of you are familiar uh, with this portion of scripture. It talks about powers and principalities and putting on the whole armor of God. And so he kind of goes through this progression. The book is sit in who Jesus Christ has made you. Rest in it. Know who you are in Christ. Now, walk like it. And here's the truth you need to be able to stand firm against the schemes of the evil one. So we have kind of that hinge point in the middle. The, the roots of the gospel, the fruits of the gospel. And then in three words, you could say sit, walk, stand. Again, big picture. That's kind of your map as we go into this. Let's get into verses one, two. I'm going to pray one more time really quick, and then we'll dive in. Father, I pray that you would make this book alive to us. I know your word is already living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray that you would individually make it alive to each one of us through your Holy Spirit. Pray that even today as we dive into this and we can kind of understand the structure of the book and, and those things that will help us down the road. But as we actually dive into the words of the scriptures, I pray that you would move in our hearts, in our minds, uh, even in our church through these verses. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, verses one and two, very familiar type uh, salutation. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Usually, we kind of, when we're reading, we just kind of, okay, 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 let's get to the meat here. But there's some things we want to look at here that'll kind of help set the stage for this whole book. If I kind of had to boil down the message for today, it would be the, have the idea of recreated for something special. And I think we'll see that over and over, recreated for something special. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about my dad. And he would sometimes make tools, like he would need a tool for, for something, and he would make it. He would weld like a wrench and this together to get to that. And all, all these just very unique things that he made, and it was for a very special purpose. And I kind of had that picture that we also have been recreated or remade for a special purpose. Paul was recreated and remade for a special purpose. So Paul is our very first part of the verse, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Some of you know a little bit about Paul, and, and some of you maybe not so much, but a little bit about him is he was a Jew among Jews. So as far as good Jews go, Paul was at the top of the list. He also uh, began as a, a zealous persecutor of the church, or as they called it then, the way. And when I see zealous, he was like, that was his passion, was persecuting the church. We'll get into some verses. Um, and as some of you know, originally he was called Saul. And as he became a believer, and then years into to that, he took on the name Paul, which most of us know him by. That would be his Greek name, Gentile. Uh, he was a minister to the Gentiles, as we'll see. And he, so he goes under the name Paul, but he, his Jewish name, Hebrew name, was Saul. So here's some verses, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. So he's, he's given his credentials here as far as being a Jew of Jews. Concerning the law of Pharisee. In other words, he was kind of one of the 
judges of the law. Like he knew it so well that he could be the one to administer, to say, yeah, this is crossing the line. This is not crossing the line. This is what the scriptures say. Here's what the Old Testament law. So when he's talking about law, he's essentially like a, a judge teacher of the law. Concerning zeal or passion, persecuting the church. He was so Jewish that he was persecuting the church. Um, concerning the righteousness, which is in the law or the Mosaic law, the Old Testament, blameless. So when people thought of Paul, they thought, there's a guy that's kept it. There's a guy that's walked by it. Maybe not perfect, but he was so marked by this. His character, his life was so wrapped up in living the law that if you talked about uh, Paul, Saul, you talked about a man who was blameless when it came, comes to keeping the Old Testament laws. And there were tons of them, tons of rituals, not just the Ten Commandments, tons of rituals that needed to be uh, observed. And so here's a little bit more about him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Here's a little bit about the guy who wrote this book. He was a terrorist. You know, when you think it, uh, you hear about Taliban and all the stuff that they're doing and uh, hauling people off. And it, imagine if you were in Afghanistan now and you were living and what you would think if you hear in oh way, are they going to come into our school and haul off some of the, the women or do. That's how the church thought about Paul. Panic. Because he would haul off men and women. Separating families. That was the, the man who wrote this book of Ephesians. Here he says, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, who was uh, one of the head teachers. If you were going to be taught by anybody, uh, in the, as far as being a Jew goes, it was Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. So this is Paul. And when we talk about being recreated, we're going to see he's recreated. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was a bad guy as far as the church goes. He was not the kind of guy that you would warmly welcome uh and hug you would be like let's head for the hills but see what happens is right here what he's doing is he is going to get letters as it says so that he can kind of officially do this he's going to the chief priest like hey give me give me permission i'll start rounding up another batch of them that's what he's asking for but he has this conversion experience in the middle of this whole process god gets a hold of him so as he's going to get those letters, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So Jesus said, you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting me. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? All of a sudden, we see a changed man here, don't we? 
All of a sudden, he's persecuting the way of Jesus, and now he's surrendering and submitting to the leader of the way. So God ends up calling him to be an apostle, a sent one. It's a messenger, a spokesman. It would be like uh, almost an ambassador. So now he says, you're going to be an apostle of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. So a Jew among Jews, who really the Gentiles were just dirty scum. And now we're going to see that he ends up taking on this name Paul, which means small or little. And I think it's because he was so... Um, high and authoritative that now he's realizing in christ he's humble and he's realizing he's even says i'm the chief among sinners i'm the least of all the apostles he says but he becomes has a whole new way to me who am less than the least of all the saints even this grace was given that i should preach among the gentiles the unsearchable riches of christ and then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many. So after Paul's conversion, he goes to this man. He's sent to the house of Ananias. And Ananias is going to give him instructions. And Ananias is going, this guy is a bad dude. Like, I don't, what are we supposed to do with him? And Ananias said, Lord, I've heard many from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, so that's his past reputation, right? But the Lord says to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. So as we begin to look at Ephesians and Paul writing to these saints, we can see the background that he's coming from. And he says, I'm an apostle, as we can see here, by the will of God. In other words, God took him out of that nasty way of living who he was in the past and said, I have something else for you. I'm totally recreating you for a purpose to go before the Gentiles, Kings, and also some of the Jews. And so let me just kind of bring that back. God has done the same thing for us. God has called us out to be transformed for a purpose. He wants to use you in this church. He wants to use you in your families. He wants to use you in your neighborhood, at your workplace, for a unique purpose. Then the next verse, it says, so we, we read about Paul, and then the next verse says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So I want to talk about saints and faithful, what that, that means. And then we're going to talk a little bit about this particular group of people in Ephesus. The saints, it means the most holy things, sacred, separated, consecrated for God. It, essentially, it's a people or a thing set aside for a holy purpose. Originally, this word was used for things like the temple or the tools or instruments in the temple. So if they had tongs for like grabbing coals out of a, a set for burning incense or whatever it is, those would be consecrated. Those things were consecrated. They were set aside. They were special tongs. It wasn't like, hey, we need to get this. Go get the barbecue tongs off the back porch. It was, no, we have this set of consecrated, set apart for something holy, a special holy use, tongs. That's the tongs we're going to use. Or these are the candlesticks we're going to use. Or these are the something special set aside for holy use. And that's where the word saint comes from, is from the same idea, word. Something set apart 
for a special use. And he says in the verse, he says, to the saints, or you who've been set apart for a special use, and I feel like it's going to be very, uh, I feel like it's going to click when we start talking about Ephesus, but for right now, just think, okay, they're set apart for special use. And the faithful, the idea of faithful there, I think he's talking about believers. So he's saying to the saints and believers in Ephesus. And I don't think he's referring to two different groups here. One that was super, uh, just the saintly and then the super faithful. Uh, the idea is saints and believers. So if I said, I'm so thankful for the kind and generous people at PSCC, I'm not saying I'm thankful for kind people and generous people. I'm kind of using two different words to describe the same group of people. And he, I think that's what he's doing here to the saints and believers in Ephesus. Now, let's talk a little bit about the book of Ephesus. I know we, sometimes we have a little bit more discussion on Sundays, but um, maybe this will turn into discussion later down the road, but I just kind of want to lay this framework. So Ephesus is one of the most busy uh, trade centers in the area. It's situated on the Aegean Sea, which I'll show you a map in a second, at the mouth of the Caister River. And it's one of the greatest seaports of the ancient world. So it's a busy place. It's, uh, there were these different main roads uh, that, that went into the inland, as you'll see here in a second. And uh, I don't know if I can do this. No, don't do that. So you can see here that little dot at the corner of the E is where Ephesus is. And if you look, if you were up here, you could see there's a little uh, river that looks little on the map, but it's a big river that goes inland. So the, the ships, the boats could come in. And then they had the ability then to ship from there everything in inland to uh, which is modern day Turkey now would be modern day Turkey. My point on this is this wasn't some little, he's not writing to this little group of backwards villagers in the middle of nowhere. It would be like a New York city of today, a Los Angeles, a Phoenix, a Dallas. Like it's a big metropolitan happening, happening city. These people were people that ran businesses. They weren't just some hicks that lived out in the hills. Not that there's anything wrong with hicks living out in the hills. I sometimes wish I was a hick living out in the hills, but the reality is that's not who he's writing to. He's writing to these believers that are probably a lot like us, running businesses, working for businesses, uh, kind of around the most modern stuff around uh, very diverse group of people. There were Jews and, and Gentiles and all kinds of different people from all different kinds of backgrounds here in the city. And so we can relate to that a little bit. And it was best known, and sorry about this, Diana, I hate that your name's in here, but it was best known for its worship of Diana or Artemis. They would refer to her by different names. In fact, this was one of the uh, seventh wonders of the world at the time, that temple and they would have these ceremonies or processions that would go out from there twice a week. And it would be like a big parade of the temple prostitutes would go around. And as we'll read some other verses, uh, the, the idol worship was uh, one of the biggest businesses around. And so a little picture here, that's a projected idea of what the temple of Artemis looked like. 
and it's, I think it was five times bigger than the Parthenon. You know, that's usually what we think of when we think of Greek gods being worshipped, the Parthenon. Some of you can picture that kind of. This was, I think it was five times bigger. And this is Artemis or Diana, one of the little idols or statues to her. She was known as the mother god and who would bring children and would bring food or harvest to people. If you see these little things all around her skirt down here, those are like little babies. Um, so it's kind of this not necessarily ideal, idea of fertility. And this, the stuff on her chest, there's different ideas of what that is. Some people think it's this kind of like throwback to the really essential thing, like it's breast. Some people think it's seeds for fertility. And then one, which I think there's some merit to, is that it's pouches. Because in this culture and in this area, and you, you look back, there was a bunch of incantations or spells. It was a magic stuff. And, you know, we talk about like people talk about a witch's brew with the tail of a lizard and a this and a that. Well, they would have different pouches that they would wear for different types of incantations. And supposedly that is another idea of what that is, is that she basically had all the power of all the incantations you could have. So that's a little bit about uh, the worship of her. We're gonna read an, uh, a story here from scripture about that, uh, about her worship in Ephesus and the spirituality and the darkness. Now, if you would keep in mind, we're talking about Ephesians and remember what I said about the last part? It's sit, walk and stand. And so here you have a group of people that are living in a culture, and we're talking about powers and principalities and forces of evil, these people get it. These people are, they're, they're living in a sat world, word, world saturated with that. So here's from Acts. Now, Paul, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. There were also seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. So you have this like roaming Jewish guys that are going and casting out demons. And they're like, oh, this name of Jesus, and kind of here, this is happening in Ephesus, by the way. This is happening in Ephesus. That's why I chose this. And that's the kind of stuff we have. They're out casting out demons. And they're like, just grab from anything we can. Oh, the name of Jesus has power. I'll grab that. And so they start going. Uh, these seven sons of Sceva are like, that's what we'll do. We'll start casting out demons in the name of Jesus. We've tried it in this God. We do it in that God. We'll do it in this. We'll try the name of Jesus. That seems to hold some power based on the stuff that's happened with Paul. Then the evil spirit, so they're kept trying to cast this thing out, the sons of Sceva, these seven guys, seven guys standing around trying to cast this demon out using the name of Jesus. It says, and the evil spirit answered and said, so this voice came out of this man, but it's the, the demon talking, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. What a scene. So the point here is, this is going on in Ephesus. This is a very 
spiritually nutty place. And the power of God is working here. So much so that uh, we'll see what happens. Out of, out of this, what happens? This became known to both all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So here you probably had some of those saints. When Paul's saying saints and believers in Ephesus were probably converted through this kind of experience. And maybe even this very experience when he's writing to them. They're like, oh, yeah. That's what made me turn to Christ. And so we'll see that some of them came to be the saints and said, and many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. So this whole thing happens and then they come and they're like, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them and it is totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So you have this scene go down. People are like, we're putting our faith in Christ. And then next they're like, we got to get rid of all these evil books we have. These are the saints that Paul's writing to. Saints and believers in Ephesus. They're coming from this background. It's not a bunch of people who uh, were, um, you know, living a Christian life. They're people that are coming from a very evil, dark, dark, dark background. 50,000 pieces of silver, by the way, uh, some of the estimates, what they say is like millions upon millions of dollars, that it would be essentially 50,000 days wages. I didn't do the math, but I don't know how many years worth of wages that would be. But 50,000 is a lot if there's 365 days. So in a year, so they've burned all those books. And then even if you go back in archeology span stuff, some people are so mad about this scene because they're like, how could they ruin the antiquity and the history of all these books that were being burned? And, and this church is like, these saints are like, we're done with that evil. Recreated for something special. I want to continue talking because this is the same story. This is still in Ephesus. Check this out. So part of the story I'm going to give that's Artemis and the little idols that were made. Uh, the kind of stuff they would sell and worship and take into their house. But this is one of the theaters, the theater in Ephesus. This theater is where part of this uh, riot we're going to see in just a second takes place. So I want you to picture uh, that place filled up with people and, and, and people meeting there. So this is all flowing into the same story that I was just reading, that the people came and burned their books and it says, about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man, Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana or Artemis, he made these little things, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation. So in other words, you got this guy, he's a metal worker, silversmith, and he's got all these hub of people that are making these little idols and people also that were making money, it just said, of similar occupation somehow making money off this idol worship and he gets them together and he's like hey we, we're making some money here and what's happening is going to start hurting our business he says man you know that we have our prosperity by this trade 
Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So we're starting to see like, there's some kickback happening here in Ephesus. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. So he's going, we're going to lose money and her reputation's going out the window. We got to do something. He says, now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord. Having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's traveling companions. And when Paul wanted to go in to the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. So that theater is full of people. Great is Diana of Ephesus. Great is Diana of Ephesus. Chanting, cheering. And Paul's like, ministry opportunity. I'm going to go preach to him. He said it in there like, eh, 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 eh. no, no. The disciples are going, no, please don't go into the theater. And what ends up happening? Some, someone therefore cried one thing and some another for the assembly was confused. And most of them did not know why they had come together. <laughs> They're in there like it's the place to be. Reminds you of some of the current things you see going on around uh, our nation even. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude. And the Jews put him forward. They're like, hey, go, go talk to him. Go talk to him. Alexander motioned with his hand wanted to make his defense to the people, but they found out he was a Jew with all one voice cried out for about two hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, what man is there that does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Even into the government officials are going, we all know that she's the great goddess. My point in, in, in taking all the time is to see that these Ephesians in this metropolis that was just saturated with wickedness and evil and idol worship and spirituality, that God pulled some people out of that and said, you're saints, you're sacred, consecrated ones for a holy use and a holy purpose in Jesus Christ. And so you can begin to see why then he wants them to know who they are in Christ, how they should walk, and how they can stand firm against the schemes of the evil one. So here's our verse, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We saw that Paul was changed, wasn't he? And by the will of God, he became an apostle to the Gentiles. And then he's also, this is to the saints, that group of people who have been called out in this crazy place of Ephesus. He says, and the faithful are those believers in Jesus Christ. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, it comes from God. And grace is the idea of an undeserved gift. We've talked about this quite a bit. So what he's saying is you've been given, you, you have been given, and you get to enjoy presently an undeserved gift 
I've heard it put like this, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. So the grace of God is a generic term to say all the good things that God has given me that I don't deserve. And he's going to get into that in chapter one. You've been adopted. You've been given the Holy Spirit. All these things, he says, it's by God's grace. God's grace to you all. And I like this. Uh, one of the commentators says, it's the gospel in a single word. The word grace explains the gospel, that it's God's undeserved gift that saves us, that calls us out. And so that's what these saints had. They've been given God's grace and peace. Again, from God means wholeness, well-being, harmony between God and people, as well as harmony between people. And so we're going to see, as we talked about, it's the idea of being in right connection with God and in this book, the right connection with others. And he's saying, you can have peace, harmony with God, harmony with others, because of God's grace. God's grace or God's gift is what causes it or make it possible for us to have peace. And so he's writing to this group and he's saying, you have God's grace, you have God's peace, and he's going to dive into the letter and, but he, I want us to understand like who he's talking to here. He's talking to a lot of people that or to people that we can probably, a lot of us can identify with. Maybe you weren't doing a bunch of pagan Ouija board uh, spells and that type of thing, but we've all seen our sides of darkness in life and ugliness and sin and anti-godness in our life. And he's saying, I've rec recreated you. And this group was in Ephesus in a nasty place where probably the pressure to conform was horrible, to be pressed into the pressure of the, the mold of the world. That's where he chose them to stand out and to live and to walk and to stand. And so for us, we've come from different backgrounds and the pressure in our society, it's nasty, it's dark. We're called to live out a life for Christ in that setting and to stand against evil. And Paul's gonna tell us how we can do that. Again, the idea is that even we have been recreated for something special. He didn't take the Ephesians out. He said, those saints that are in Ephesus, the ones who are consecrated in Ephesus, he didn't go, Boop, I'm gonna go put you on this little spiritual mountain here and you go live as a monk and you just meditate all day. He's like, you're consecrated, holy ones, living in this messed up Ephesus. I think we can relate to that, right? And that's why we look at this book and we're like, man, there's got to be a lot in there for us. If he's writing to them, man, we can identify with that group. So I hope that as we get into this, you'll be able to kind of keep that map in, in mind, this kind of the setting in mind to go, you know, this, this does have a lot of application to us. And uh, I would encourage you this week to maybe just meditate on the specific of this message and going, what has God done for me? How has he made me new? And where does he have me? And being able to spot the darkness around and going, he's not asking me to go live in the hills somewhere. I'm a saint and a believer in Phoenix, Arizona. What do you want me doing here? And that's... Uh, that's our, our mission is to be living for Christ wherever we are, just as it was theirs to do that in Ephesus. So let's commit to that this week. Let me pray and we'll uh, sing another song together. 
Father, I come before you. I thank you for just being able to understand the context of this book and understand that uh, your word is relevant to today. And as we read and understand, it's, it's not something that's outdated. The things that we go through are the things that the first century church was going through. Please help us to be able to draw out from your word the things that will sustain us, fill us up, encourage us, strengthen us, challenge us even this week. I pray that each of the saints here would walk out built up, confident, and putting their hope in you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.